0: have you ever asked yourself am I a bad therapist well you're in the right place I'm Allie Joy licensed professional counselor and board certified art therapist
1: and I'm Catherine S. Scare a clinical psychologist and this is Am I a Bad Therapist join us each week for stories from behind the closed therapy door you'll hear experiences that made us ask Am I a bad therapist? Including bloopers, jaw droppers, and other difficult moments that normalize the unique struggles of modern day therapists. This is
0: a space with no experts, no gurus, and no hierarchies, just humans sitting in
1: similar chairs. And while we're not the gatekeepers for good and bad therapy, because we're bad therapists too, we are here to shine a light on the difficult decisions therapists face on a daily basis and to normalize that mysterious gray area of clinical practice that no one wants to talk about. So, Allie, I feel like there's a few things that almost all therapists can relate to, regardless of geographical location or license type. And some of the, you know, we cover a lot of the themes here on the podcast, like imposter syndrome. I think many of us can relate to boundaries or, to, you know, managing boundaries with, with clients we can all relate to. But the third one, almost all of us can relate to, we have not talked about yet. And that is a poor supervisory experience. And Emily finally brings it to the podcast today.
0: Yes, I know. I am surprised that it has taken this long, actually, for us to have a guest share exclusively a story about a difficult supervisory experience. So it is long overdue, something
1: we can all relate to, and it's very interesting. So stay tuned. And before we get into it, this is just a friendly reminder that all of our episodes, including this one, are not a substitute for therapy itself, clinical supervision, even though we talk about it, or ethical guidance.
0: All right. Well, this is episode number 47 of Am I a Bad Therapist? Let's get into it.
1: Hi, Emily. Welcome to Am I a Bad Therapist? Hi. Hey, I'm so happy to be here. Well, we are excited that you're here too, and we can't wait to hear about your story about being a bad therapist. But before we do, why don't you
2: tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um. So... I'm currently a practicing licensed clinical social worker. Um, So my training's in social work. Uh, I have my master's in social work and public health. So I also have a public background in health education and health promotion. Um, I also have my certification in public health, my approved clinical supervisor credential, all the credentials. Uh, Currently, I'm an assistant professor with the Department of Psychiatry in the School of Medicine at the University of Colorado Anschutz Medical Campus. And I work as the clinical director of our OCD program as an OCD and eating disorder therapist and the deep brain stimulation coordinator. So all the roles, all the things, all the time.
0: Amazing got to keep busy, but it sounds like I a love lot of it. interesting things. Yes. Catherine and I always say we also love different projects, different roles. It keeps us busy, keeps it different. So Fresh. we're your people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Perfect. Amazing. Well, we've heard a bit about you and what is the story that you're going to share with us today that made you question if you are a bad therapist? Yeah. So
2: um, I'll jump right into it if, if that's cool. And, yes, please. Um, <clears throat> So my first job out of graduate school was as a behavioral health counselor at an eating disorder treatment center. Um, I knew I wanted to work with eating disorders from the time and be a therapist from the time I was 15. So I was like ambitious, passionate about this job. I was really excited to be able to start, to learn and and grow as a clinician. Um, When I was hired, uh, I had my uh, provincial license and I already had a lot of experience working in the field of eating disorders, so I was placed at a higher level, um, kind of as a lead, and was promised weekly 60-minute supervision with another LCSW, which is what I needed for my clinical license. Um, The issue was that there was only one LCSW at this company when I started, so what ended up happening was that I essentially got ghosted by my supervisor many times. Um, and I, I would end up barely getting like 30 minutes a week with, with wow. this person. Um, oftentimes I would I would go for my scheduled supervision and my supervisor would be in her office and like I knew she was in her office because I would see like the, the shadow moving but her door would be shut and she would either be in there with like another therapist chatting or just not answering her door um she would constantly cancel or reschedule like I understand us therapists we're always busy there's always more work to be done and and I got that she was busy but I really couldn't help feeling like dismissed and a little bit like avoided um yeah we don't uh, expect to be
0: ghosted by our supervisors like that's not something I don't think I've ever worried about
1: before sitting here thinking you're knocking
2: on her door and she's not answering It was the weirdest feeling to be like, I feel like I'm in middle school or high school right now. Like just like the cool kids are on the other side and I'm just like, hey, can I come in? It was a weird way to start my career um, in this, like officially start my career because, you know, I, I don't think I was expecting to feel like so avoided in something that, Like a supervisor is supposed to support and you're like, you know, in in grad school, we're told use supervision, not necessarily how to use supervision, but we're told use supervision and have somebody just be like, nope, like I don't have the time for you is is a hard thing.
1: And this was your only option at this company too so i also wonder and i'm not in any way shape or form excusing the behaviors of your supervisor but i wonder if she also felt forced into this arrangement as well if she was the only option for you and her employer said you're doing this like this might have again not excusing anything but this does not sound like a good setup from the get-go
2: no i think like it was definitely one of those situations where she had probably way, she was in charge of all the therapists Uh. who weren't just LCSWs. So she definitely didn't have the time, but there was like, no, nothing in place. And to be promised something and to Mm -hmm. agree to it, but then actually not want to do it is just, it's bad for everyone. (laughs) And it sounds like there was no
0: communication either, Mm -hmm. like of just Mm -hmm. like that ghosting, which is just like, you know, like you said, stuff comes up sometimes, things might need to get changed, but especially as a supervisor, like that's our responsibility to model healthy communication boundaries, like all of these things and just completely dismissing it or ignoring it like doesn't change the problem and it makes everybody feel worse. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Mm
2: -hmm. It's like, um, yeah, it's it's not good modeling uh, for sure. And it's a weird power dynamic too, because as the new clinician um, with someone who's you know, in this position of power, it, it's it feels awkward to be like, hey, what the heck are you doing? Right. Like, why are you canceling? And it just it it's a very awkward position to be in.
1: So this was your first uh, job out out of graduate school. And here you are in a new company, a new organization, uh, you know, providing services, first job out of graduate school and your supervisor's ghosting you. What thoughts are running through your head about yourself, about your own clinical work, um, what was this like for you?
2: Yeah. Um, so I it was, like I said, awkward. And I think I based on the interactions we did have, it was hard to not internalize some of the feedback I was getting and question like, is this the right field for me? Like, am I really cut out for this? Like, what is I think what is wrong with me that this person's like avoiding me and knowing again, logically, right? We have the, our logical thoughts of like, she's probably really busy, but it was hard to really be like, am I supposed to be here? Cause when we, when we would have supervision, it really wasn't much better. Like she would often compare me Um, To another coworker who had the same name as me saying like, I need to be more like that, Emily, Um, which I'm an identical twin. So like that is something that I worked in my childhood and teenage years in my own therapy, that comparison, that competitiveness that twins often have. I worked through that, but that was getting like very much activated for me um, from some of the comments she was making. And, you know, she she wanted me to be more like this Emily because that Emily was was an extrovert. And, she, and I was, you know, quiet. I was an introvert. And she told me straight up that, like, introverts don't make good therapists and that I would never become a therapist at this company if I was an introvert. So it was hard to really... Like. I'm sorry. I, I do not mean to interrupt,
0: but like, also for those who are listening, you as always need to watch the YouTube video because mine and Catherine's faces are like my jaw is dropped. Like, I don't think I've ever heard that sentence uttered ever. That therapists
1: who are introverted, like that—that that, that, that it's not a good match. Like, really? that doesn't make sense to me. Ellie, do you remember we even had a public panel discussion on the Therapist Network on why therapists who are introverts make good therapists? Yeah, like
2: that's exactly
0: what I was thinking. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it was, I think, like, so with those comments, yeah, in my head, I'm like, dang, I'm a bad therapist. Yeah, like, I must be like, maybe I shouldn't even be in this field. Like she she was wanting me to show up in certain ways. And, and maybe again, like maybe I'm making excuses, but maybe she was trying to motivate me to um, take more initiative and, and talk more but the way she was doing it as a supervisor was not motivating to me and it felt like i was being told to change who i was um in order to fit this mold of what a like a good therapist is that's so
1: uncomfortable what i'm trying to put myself in your shoes as a, a fresh you know graduate um Part of me thinks I would have been like, "Okay, I'm going to try." Like, wh- what did you do with this feedback? Were you did you totally reject it? Did you did you take it to heart? Like, what did fresh graduate Emily do with this
2: info? Great question. Um <clears throat> so, I think a couple things, like multiple reactions. I think part of me took it to heart and was really disheartened by it. Um and, you know, really, again, questioned am I about therapist? Uh, hence why I'm here. Uh, but another part of me, because I am uh, very tenacious, sometimes to a fault, I took that and was like, well, I'll prove you wrong. Like, I'm going to be who I'm going to be and, like, become a therapist anyway, um, which is, you know, like, part of what helped me get through it. But, yeah, some of it I did Use as like I'll show you. Like I'm not gonna change a dang thing about myself. I love that, that response. That's
1: so that's good. Always I'm my also, response to everything. Right?
0: <laughs> yeah, like that's healthy spite, right? <laughs> yes, I think so. Oh goodness, is, I'm fascinated you. by like as therapists, the work we do is so individualized and like often isolating in a sense. We're like I'm so interested to like have this comparison. Like you need to be like this therapist, but like we're behind closed doors with clients individually. Like, how can you even give me that comparison? Because I don't know how they do therapy because I'm not there. The client is. So that piece too,
2: I'm like, what? I don't even know what to do with that. Yeah, I I think like, it's so interesting. I think, thankfully, as more of us introverts have talked about and like actually are, are talking about being an introvert, think it's more normalized but when I started my career I think there was this kind of like uh prototype for what a therapist should be like a good therapist they had to be like super engaging and super um talkative and friendly and bright and peppy and I don't think that needs to be the case um But oftentimes there were supervisors and and it wasn't just me. There were other people here who were being told very similar things, Um, you know, as introverts kind of like float together. So we were kind of commiserating around that.
1: I'm really glad to hear that, that you actually had other colleagues that you can relate to and support each other, because here I am picturing, you know, new graduate Emily being out there in like an island by herself. But you did have colleagues who also We're having similar experiences, I would assume, with different supervisors. So I can only guess that there might have been a a cultural piece to this feedback as well. Yes.
2: Oh, yes. It was definitely, definitely a cultural thing. Um, I think like this particular company, similar to other places, they throw therapists into this role as a supervisor that also is like a job supervisor and they're supposed to be doing like job and clinical supervision, Mm -hmm. which just creates a lot of chaos because you have like the clinical supervisor who's kind of like this, this pull dynamic of tell me the hard things you're going through, like tell me the hard cases, let's process how it's affecting you. And then you have the job supervisor who's this like push dynamic who's saying, I don't want to hear anything about that. Just keep your productivity numbers Mm -hmm. up. And like suck it up. If you're having an issue, go to your own therapy type deal. And it's so confusing to have someone do both those roles. But more often than not, therapists are placed in that position of doing both those things
1: is a really, really great distinction um, because I am a clinical supervisor and I often feel pulled between those two. Like, yes, I need to make sure we are crossing our T's and dotting our I's in terms of documentation and logistics. And of course, that is a clinical piece to it. But I also want to be there for you in your tough moments with your tough clients, really be able to work with the process of working with these clients. Um, And sometimes they compete for, for time in our supervision, in our supervision spaces. So I, I can completely relate to that. Even me acknowledging those dual dual roles as a supervisor, dual, dual supervisory roles, um, it's still a struggle for me. Um, and I'm sure that my interns also feel that at times too. So here you are really feeling that, and it sounds like your supervisor is leaning much more heavily on the job supervision, the task master, master in my head, as opposed to the cultivating a clinician um, and the emotional, the social emotional development that comes with becoming a therapist and delivering these types of services.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think like, I, I don't know about, about you all, but in graduate school and in all my training, no one ever took the time to be like, hey, this is how you use clinical supervision. Mm. And my supervisor certainly wasn't teaching me how to do that. Um, and so it was something that I had to like learn on my own and, and make, um, you know, like seek outside supervision and whatnot uh, to figure out how to use supervision effectively, um, to help myself as a clinician.
0: This feels
1: like a really great place to pause for an ad break. Jane is an all-in-one practice management software that can help you manage your practice with a suite of features that make it easy to meet with individuals, couples, families, and more.
0: Here on, Am I a Bad Therapist? We know that two of the most important things to us as therapists are confidentiality and our time. Thankfully, Jane understands that reliability and security are very important parts of running a private practice.
1: Jane's cloud-based software is accessible wherever you have Wi-Fi, and their team is always ready to lend a helping hand. Jane is HIPAA and PIPEDA compliant, and your data is stored safely in the country you practice in. So no matter where or how you practice, Jane's always with you in the most secure and helpful way possible.
0: Not only does Jane help us protect our clients, but they help us protect our time, too, with features like calendar syncing, note templates, online booking, and they have automated reminders and workflows, which you know we love on Am I a Bad Therapist? And you can learn more at jane.app slash mental health. You can also mention the code badtherapist for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. Moving forward, let's get back to the show. I think another really interesting piece too is that in so many agencies and things like that, people get put in these supervisory roles and they're given no training about how to be a supervisor at all, like none so often. And like I feel like sometimes we're lucky where someone maybe is does well in that role and they excel or someone chooses to get their own education and training and does their own reading and research. But a lot of the times, as we're talking about here, they don't. And that's a piece that's I'm su- a little bit surprised that maybe it's not more discussed ethically of like the training about mm-hmm. becoming a supervisor and balancing. Like we should be taking this and having this information about how to balance the mm-hmm. job role and the clinical mm-hmm. role. Or I was really lucky in my first agency job in community mental health, which is very rare. I had a licensed supervisor and I had like a, another supervisor as well. And I'm so grateful for that because I was able to separate them. But I know my experience is not common at all.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, I do have to jump in because st- some states and some licenses yeah. do require education around supervision as a, as a prerequisite to graduating. So as a psychologist, um, I believe it was while I was enrolled that the APA requirements for APA accredited programs required at least some, at least one class on supervision. So I did have a class on supervision. J- I just need to put that little caveat out there. But was it enough? <laughs> it was a very good class, but it was one class. I think that what you're speaking to is if you if your career involves a supervisory role, like this should be part of your continuing education. This should be part of your professional development is not just taking one class or one certification or one requirement or nothing and, and not moving forward, like continuing to to make sure you are up to date in your supervisory delivery services.
2: Absolutely. It's that education is so important. Um, and yes, it's an added thing. And I think, like, I think for, um, I'm not an LPC, but I think LPCs now have to, at least in Colorado, have to um, get us, like, if they're going to do clinical supervision, mm-hmm. they have to get this, like, uh, credential or at least take the first of, like, three um, kind of trainings on clinical supervision, which is a good step in the right mm-hmm. direction. Um, because yeah like most of us don't have that training you're thrown into it like here take this intern here take mm-hmm. this like resident or fellow and mm-hmm. train them ready go.
1: I think you're speaking to well you're right I think the field is moving I have seen movement as you have seen mm-hmm. movement in the right direction in terms of providing supervisors with educational opportunities or with that scaffolding to help them become good supervisors but unfortunately I think it's really reactive in our fields because there are there are so many poor supervisory experiences out there that I think it's re- reactive to those early career professionals' experiences. When really it should have been there from the get-go. If you have been requiring supervision from the beginning, we have said we should have been supporting these supervisors from the beginning. So I just have to note, yeah, we're seeing the field in the right direction, um, but there's still a long way to come because, like you said, Emily, those those supervisory experiences are still out there and. You know, yours is probably might still be happening to clinicians out there having being ghosted by by their supervisors or being compared by their supervisors.
2: Yeah, totally. I think like being in a supervisory role now, I definitely have that empathy and compassion to understand like it's a hard role to hold both those positions. And there's also a lot healthier ways to give feedback. Yeah. (laughs)
0: So I'm curious, Emily. So we've heard how it was, you know, being ghosted, getting that really interesting feedback and kind of relating to your peers in some ways. But what happened after that? Like what happened with the rest of the supervisory journey with this supervisor you've been sharing about?
2: Yeah. Uh, So like I said, there were a couple of us who like a group of us from work that really were not receiving um, quality supervision. We were feeling kind of like had a loss in our careers like is this actually what we should be doing and most of us were very like introverted maybe more like perfectionistic anxious just getting you know like we've worked on our stuff but these qualities were being kind of activated by the feedback we were getting um so we sought outside group supervision with an lcsw who i i deeply respected she had worked at this company and left to create her own private practice and so a group of us did group supervision and she was, the this, this supervisor provided us space for not only case consultations, but also for us to process feelings and emotions that came up around certain cases and about our work environment. You know, we, we discussed goals and dreams and aspirations for our career and lives. And we even talked about like burnout. And, um, you know, if you've ever been so, so burnt out, especially from like a certain company and you have these like escape fantasies, you know, like we, she normalized all of that for us. And it was such just a corrective experience. Like I felt supported and, and as though I had a place to bring complex cases and a place to be open with how I was doing as a human being who is also a therapist. Um, so like with all this, even though I was still getting maybe every once in a while supervision inside of work, I was really able to feel more comfortable and accepting of who I am as a therapist and like be more, bring my authentic self to therapy, which was more beneficial for my clients anyway. Um, and I let go of trying to impress the supervisor at work and, and trying to get on her good side and get her to give me the hours that I needed um, because That no matter like what I realized, no matter what I did and how well I did it, this supervisor had a belief about the type of therapist that I was or wasn't and that I couldn't change that view that she had of me. So it was more important like this outside supervision helped me realize that what was more important was how I felt about myself as a therapist and if this was the right path for me, not what she thought.
0: I love that. That's amazing. I'm also very impressed that you were able to get together with your coworkers and seek group supervision. Like I'm so happy that you came to that decision together and found somebody because I, and I, I'm guessing it helped that you all were kind of in the same boat, but I feel like I've early career. I don't know if my brain would have gone to that. So I'm really impressed and so happy you found that.
2: I mean, I think that's a great point though, because i I think, a lot of people might not have thought that like mm-hmm. because of the type of person i am because i like i mentioned i'm tenacious i'm i'm not the type of person to be like totally disheartened after being knocked down if anything i'm like going to prove you wrong um and it was helpful again to have those colleagues and rely because i wasn't getting that support from my supervisor rely on on my peer support to come together and be like, hey, the situation really sucks. Like, let's do something about it. Um, instead of feeling like disempowered, we took this like very empowered approach to it. Um, and it, it truly was so life changing because it helped me feel like any imposter syndrome I had around being a therapist basically ha- had gone away after that because I felt so much more. Accepting of myself and of and confident in my clinical s- instincts and skills, um, like that knowledge was there, but it was buried so much under doubt and fear of being a bad therapist or the wrong type of therapist that, like, once I was able to embrace myself as an individual and as a therapist, I was able to show up so much better for myself and my clients.
1: I I, I just have to commend you. You you really took. Some of the advice we give our clients all the time, you focused on what was within your control, and that was getting outside consultation or supervision, and you went for it. Uh, I just absolutely love that. It seems like such a simple solution when you just state it, but to get there when you're feeling stuck and helpless and potentially hopeless in your agency and to be able to look outside and say, there is a, a creative solution that can help not just me, but my colleagues, like, holy guacamole, that's amazing. And I can only relate like to... The experiences we see within the teletherapist network, we have so many pre licensed clinicians join the network because they are craving. that peer connection, that peer support that they're not getting at their agency and the extra consultation from licensed people that they can trust. And at first, when, you know, pre-licensed clinicians were joining the network, I was like, why are you guys joining? Like you have a supervisor. And I forgot, you know, I, I shouldn't have forgotten, but there are so many, you know, you know, overworked, underpaid um, supervisors out there who may be trying their best but can't give it all or just poor supervisors or inadequate supervision situations out there. And so to go out and find those resources for yourself to advocate for your own clinical development, even if your agency or your educational institution is not incredible. You know, I love that tenacity. I can so relate to it in my own life.
2: I mean, <clears throat> it's it's a great thing to have, and like I'd be lying if I didn't say it was you know difficult to get there. I I'm grateful I had been in therapy for some of my life that that helped me be this type of person, and I'm sure like my family and support system would would tell you that like it was a difficult time, like not getting that supervision and getting to the journey of getting that outside consultation, like. It was a long road, but it was so worth it. Um, And it also was helpful in that it really helped me know my worth as Mm -hmm. a clinician and like what I actually wanted to do. And and it helped me realize that I didn't want to stay at this company, this Mm -hmm. company that it was my dream job from the time I was 15 to be an eating disorder therapist at a treatment center. And this outside supervision helps me really come to terms with, I don't want to do this the rest of my life. And there was like grief that came up around this identity piece. And this outside supervisor helps me through it all. And like my peers helped me work through that and find the job that I work at now that I truly love where I get to do some eating disorder work, but more so anxiety and OCD. And it's so much better.
0: That's amazing. Well, Emily, what advice would you give to a clinician listening who maybe isn't getting the best supervision? They're not getting enough. They're not connecting with their supervisor. Any of the things we've talked about, what would you say to them?
2: So, I mean, outside supervision is excellent. And I also know that sometimes financially that's, you know, not always doable and and it can be um, quite a privilege to be able to get outside supervision. So, if you're going to look for outside supervision, definitely um look into group because that can be cheaper because there are mm-hmm. more of you mm-hmm. or even um, you know, consulting or getting a group of your coworkers mm-hmm. together. and maybe you don't have that expert, but you can at least bounce ideas off of one another. Like I do that still with um with my coworkers as we bounce ideas or we'll just like call one another. um and I think like, like, that would definitely be good for someone who's getting not getting supervision. Like, seek outside supervision or, you know, lean on some of your coworkers and, and utilize one another in that peer connection. Um, what I would say to people who are in that supervisor role who maybe are feeling burnt out or feeling like they're being forced to do it, um, it's important to, to really give back and support new clinicians, but if you don't have the actual time and capacity to properly supervise someone don't take them on like don't take that trainee or that licensee on because it ends up bad for everyone and nobody has a good time and it's just it sets everybody up to feel not great um so i think like those things are, are the big advice pieces of advice that i'd probably give
1: i love the last one of supervise people who are considering supervisory roles Can look at your boundaries. Like, do you need to set a boundary? Is this something you want? Do you have enough room? Can you put boundaries other places so you can create room? Or is this a boundary that you don't, that you need to set and you don't want to supervise? Absolutely. Um, If you're not setting it for you, set it for the future clinician that might be getting, you know, the subpar uh, supervisory experience from you. Set it for them.
2: Yes, exactly. It's because it's not, yeah, it's not just about no. us as the supervisors. We we affect new, like new trainees and, and interns and even other clinicians if we're not able to show up for them. Um, but just because we are in a supervisor role doesn't mean we need to take on every single trainee or intern.
0: Amazing. Well, amazing advice. And Emily, if someone wants to
2: connect with you outside of the podcast, where can they find you? Um. So, I mean, best way to get to me is email, um, which is just emily.hemmendinger at cuanschutz.edu, or um, the Department of Psychiatry has an Instagram that I am frequently, um, you know, I'm working with our communications team on any of our social media, and that's cu underscore psychiatry. So those are probably the best ways to get in touch with me um, or see kind of what we're up to. Actually, one more um, my uh my team um at the ocd program we have a kind of a website that has a bunch of handouts and um information about ocd and exposure response prevention and that website is ocd the number four um no sorry it's erp the number four ocd.com so erp four ocd.com um
1: Amazing. And resources for therapists at that. Thank you for exactly. dropping that website, Emily. And we will absolutely make it easy for any listeners to click the links in our show notes below and connect with Emily or get those OCD resources.
2: Sweet. That's Perfect.
0: awesome. Well, thank you for being with us, Emily, today. This was such a good message, such a good story. Thank you for
2: sharing it. Thank you so much for having me. You, you all are doing great work.
0: Thank you.
1: Thank you.
2: And that's it. OG Bad
1: therapists, Allie and Catherine are signing off for the week make sure to subscribe
0: and leave us a review we pick a few lucky five star reviewers to shout out and invite for a 15 minute consultation with the both of us to talk about anything on your mind from clinical work to podcasting we're game just make sure to leave us your name and location in the review
1: are you a bad therapist and want to be on the show go to abadtherapist.com and tell us your story Our
0: podcast is produced and edited by my amazing husband, Austin Joy. He also created the music for our intro and outro. You can find this song along with many others on any music platform under the artist Air for Effect. And if you're a bad therapist starting your own podcast or wanting to level up the one you already have, contact Austin for his full suite of podcast and sound production services. You can find him on Instagram at Air for
1: Effect. And don't forget, we're all bad therapists therapists.